welcome to this morning. My name is Carla and I run Dum Dum Die, an all-female or awesome D&D 5th edition homebrew podcast and Twitch stream. And today as part of Comic-Con Africa, we are discussing homebrew 101. So I'm Beth, I'm mainly a LARP writer. Um, I have run a few campaigns uh, tabletop. I'm based in Cape Town. In my day-to-day life, I'm working in IT and I tend to they're on historical basis. And I am John, uh, John Keevy. In my day-to-day life, I am a professional writer. I write for stage, I write for computer games, and I write prose as well. And I play D&D, I dungeon master. It's uh, awesome and a lot of fun, and uh, I'm just gonna enjoy my own homebrew tea for now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dominic Kotzer. I'm from Bloemfontein, and I don't think I've got such a big resume as I do. Basically just, run a whole lot of D&D in Central South Africa. So we thought we'd start the chat with what is a homebrew? So defining what we see homebrew as and how we're going to frame today's conversation. So define homebrew. Homebrew is basically taking whatever system you want and building your own world and use use the system. That's one part of it, but homebrew can also refer to as adjusting the system itself. So there's kind of two sides of homebrew. There's um, homebrewing law and world, and then there's homebrewing rules. And I think both of them are quite interesting and see how they relate to each other. I find when I homebrew, I generally look at it from the homebrewing the world and the law, but sometimes that leads you to adjusting some rules or adjusting a mechanic to fit your law or your world. So generally I find that a little bit of the one creeps into the other. Definitely, definitely related to each other. It's exactly what you guys have said thus, thus far. I tend to gravitate towards pre-written content, so I train to be the brood content, not the homebrewed content. It's what I tend to lean in a lot. And homebrew is just as you guys have said, whenever there's a rule you don't like, you change that. Or if you create a scene or a setting or a, or a, a series of characters that didn't exist. Basically just adding to the system from your own side. It's kind of unescapable kind of adjusting your setting and environment to your players and you know if there's something that that doesn't mesh with them or you know they have a different view of how things would work bringing that into the game rather than having a predetermined going this is how it is and that's how it's always going to be it's it's adapting to that environment what's cool and about having different people because i never play in um, adventure parts or or pre-made campaigns because i'm just like i don't know the law well enough and someone's gonna be like that's not how Faerun works and i'm like "Hmm." so i play in homebrew but it's cool to see that you can use it regardless of if you're playing in a world that you've made from scratch or if you're playing in a system and you're adjusting that or if you're playing in an adventure path and adjusting it as you go along to adapt with your players and their actions. There is a question from Toddzilla. I feel like Toddzilla's being a little bit spicy. How would you homebrew ship cannons? Because my friend doesn't know how to actually make it. I think that's a bit of a mechanical question. So I'm going to leave that to chat. I know Gary is very good at that. So Gary can assist you. But I see you, Toddzilla. I just see- immediately thought, like, is he talking about, like, cannons on a ship? Or is he talking about, like, relationships and making them cannon in the world? Oh, oh that's a that question. Who, who okay. are you shipping? Okay, yes. <laughs> so, Toddzilla, if you're talking about relationship cannons, please confirm. <laughs> or if you're talking about How many action- ends are there? How many ends in the cannon? <laughs> is it a triangle cannon, a square cannon, an octagon? And that's about the, the most shapes I know. 
Todd's is like, I mean, Canon's like, pew, pew. Generally, if you're looking to build something and you're struggling to build it, guys, Reddit. Reddit is the business. Just search Reddit for, and so I promise you someone's built it. And then you can I mean, just adjust is, it. Yeah, this is kind of like the, the, the heart of like what homebrew is, is that there is something that I want and it's not in there. I'm not finding it in there. And how do we go about then putting it in there, putting it in our games? Like whatever it is you want, chip cannons or, you know, uh, relationships. <laughs> Whatever it is, how to play it um, and how to adjust it. That's the heart of homebrew. Amit um, Tiak, sorry if I said it wrong. How would you suggest homebrewing when you're DMing D&D for the first time? They've GM two other systems and one is Dread. So I think basically this is a question of where do you start, I guess? Where do you start when building a world? Amit Tiak, let us know if you also are looking more for how do you homebrew mechanics or are you looking at how do you homebrew law? But let's start with law. I suppose in terms of uh, law, it's where are you setting it? Are you setting your D&D campaign in, you know, are you going off into a forest environment, a castle? Like, what what is your setting? Because that kind of is the starting place of where your mechanics are going to be. Is it going to be more of a political campaign? Is there going to be lots of sneaking around? And then that kind of defines what mechanics you're going to be bringing in and where you need to be sort of doing a little bit of research or trying to invent things. You basically need some kind of parameters going in, sort of, that you can add on to. You know, you don't need to figure out everything mm. at the start and just have like a, a rough frame and then you add on to that. But it's a good idea to have a rough frame to be able to add on. Otherwise, it's very hard, you know, like six seasons or whatever so later to be able to go... That one thing right at the beginning, like, it didn't really work, but now we're going this way. When you start out, the question is, why do you want, um, why do you want a homebrew? What's your motivation for doing that? Because that's going to define your whole approach. I think a lot of people want a homebrew because they've already built a world in their imagination, um, something that they've been playing with uh, for a while, maybe short stories they've been writing, or maybe just uh, a fascinating idea that they had. Or maybe it's that they want to kind of patchwork a couple of things that they fell in love with. Like mm. they love uh, westerns, but they want to do Curse of Strahd, you know, with vampires and and gun and and six shooters, and they want to figure out how to do that. So your first the first port of call is why do you want a homebrew? I agree with that actually, because my opinion on that is usually uh, in our local community when when young DMs or new DMs they're trying to break in and get a table and want to start running games if you know the system well whatever system it is go nuts homebrew because then you've already got experience in the system and you've already got experience dming but if it's your first time dming make your own life easier just pick up a prefabricated adventure and run that stuff first because nothing sucks more than trying to balance your own world which comes with a lot of trouble and tricks along with learning the rules, along with coming to grips with each character, you're not going to have a good time. So my advice is if it's your absolute first time running a new system, don't homebrew. Get a prefabricated module and run that up to the point you feel you're comfortable and then start editing. One of my favorite podcasts started like that. They started running a prefabricated module and then halfway through the module they said they felt they were competent enough with the rules and then they split off. You can always split off later. Each and every one of the officially written adventure from Wizards of the Coast has a, has a paragraph or two at the start that not only tells you where it fits into the official world, but also tells you where you can fit this into your own world. Homebrew is great, 
but don't kill your own creativity and energy just by trying to do everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's for any system. Most of them have at least one adventure example that you can run and play and test. Not just D&D. Amicia replied, why didn't they just play Deadlands, which is a Western horror, <laughs> if they wanted to build that? That's a very good point. It's what um, Dominic was saying. When you're experienced, when you're experienced, you know what's there, you know? And once you already know what's there, then you can homebrew safely. Like, because um, you don't have to make up a whole new recipe. Uh, homebrew, the, well, the metaphor is cooking. And, you know, there are all these great recipes out there to learn how to how to go about it. You don't have to like go, oh, I, I want to make a, I want to make a cake. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to grab whatever I think goes into a cake and put it in the oven and maybe it'll work. Packet of onions. Yeah, maybe, depending how bad you are at cooking. That's right, I have a chocolate cake recipe that involves tomato and it tastes fantastic. It's called a thunder cake. See, that is homebrew. That is real homebrew right there. Just throw a little tomato in, guys. That's the tip for today. When in doubt, take your recipe for your adventure path and throw in tomato. Get that vitamin C. Generally, yeah, why are you wanting to homebrew? So for me, it was because I didn't feel confident in the law and I didn't feel like I could give the players the experience they would like in the worlds of those laws. So I built my own one where if they're like, but that's not how vampires work in Curse of Strahd. I'm like, this is not Curse of Strahd. So, but yeah, I would say at least play a one or two adventure parts and run those just for ease and just for learning the mechanics. And then after that, go through with your worlds, start exploring. And like Dominic said, you can add adventure paths within your homebrew as you go along to assist you. So we have a question here from at sauce. How could I make easy deities? Because I'm planning to have my players make a pact with one. Well, the first way is to uh, borrow from existing things, from existing um, pantheons like in the, the real world and uh, mix them up. You can take a personality, you want a trickster, okay, well, um, there are a lot of examples of like tricksters in the real world, uh, from Loki to Anansi, and you can rework that uh, to fit in with the motifs of your world. If you're wanting to have your players make pact, what are the deities getting out of it? So you also think about their point of view and going like, so are they trying to get one up on one another deity? But basically don't have a single character have a little bit of a, a motivation for them so that it can be a little bit more interesting and if they grasp onto that hook you can go into it in more detail because there's a lot of things where you know you can set up a whole like storyline and the players are just not interested so it might be fun to just have a little bit and then if they express interest in that track but then you can follow down that line if you if you want to and if you if, if they engage in it and then you've got scope to grow as opposed to sort of boxing yourself and going there very two-dimensional i think from my side at least this connects to one of the questions that we were sent beforehand and that was that uh, it's sort of like an arbitrary what's the three most important things for any world fully full-fledged now arguably a deity should be fully fledged. I mean, in the traditional sense, it's something that's all powerful or maybe not completely powerful. If you're looking at a Ferunian lore, there is, and I'm not a master at it, but there's the entire thing about the weave and how luck works, etc., etc. That's a lot, and you're going to create something. Um, if it's more than a paragraph, you're probably already wrote. Just take something that feels right and copy from existing source, and then leave it open-ended. 
what I like doing and something I lean into a lot is straight up emergent storytelling. In other words, instead of writing an entire history and lore, which is amazing to do, I've got a local friend that does that, but at some point it becomes like reading the Cimmerillion. It's a lot of extra work for very little return. Because in the end of the day, you just want to see an army of orcs die against your sword. So what I mean by emergent storytelling is that create a god, make him just have a rough idea what these powers are, and then change them when they stop working for you. But never share this to the player. Keep that private so that they don't know what the lengths of this creature's strength and limits are. Then here comes the important part for me is that keep notes of what you do fix and share to the players. Because once you start sharing like, oh, this god is just the goddess of luck, and she affects your random odds. And then like a month later in the session, you say, no, she can't help you out in this gambling game. I mm. That's not how that will work. I mean, this is her domain. Why wouldn't she help us? So make it up, but keep track of your own crap. Yeah, and I think that's what makes homebrews so wonderful is when the players also feel like they're not only just living in this world, they're building this world with you as it goes. And not only does their actions have an effect on the storyline, it has an effect on the world. So if they are like continuously asking the luck god for something and then you're like, it's filled with wrath and vengeance when people use it too much. And then they feel like they built that part of the god with you. Mm. What I did, which is quite fun, and I think my players enjoyed it, is I did a session zero where I got them to play characters. The plan was those characters were always going to die. And then 300 years later is when we started our, our game, and those characters had been elevated to the realm of the gods. And so each player got to have their god be the character they played before so that they knew what their god was like and they knew what their god's like purview and domain was so you can build gods literally <laughs> for those of you interested i do believe this is one of your episodes it is <laughs> it is it's one of the first episodes of dub dub die but it's always good to work on some things with your players especially if they're going to have a very close relationship so if it's a paladin or a cleric and you're homebrewing it, sit with them and be like, what are you trying to look out for? And see if you can help them build a relationship and a god because they would know a lot about that god if they're very connected. So I think that brings it to another question and you brought it up, Dominic, as well. So Lestat version 2 is asking, what level of detail should you put into a homebrew story? And I think that leads to, if you can only fully flesh out three things in the world. What are the three things you would say need like a ton of focus and then the other things can sort of emerge as you play? So I'd say like initial NPCs. So, you know, like how the characters fit into the world and probably the like the starting mission or basis for the game, I suppose would be my three things. Because then you can basically build on all of those things without having to define. I mean, there's that fantastic quote that no no plan survives five minutes of contact with the enemy. The enemy <laughs> is the players. So, you know, you, basically you, you have to be able to be a certain amount of flexible because you might, you know, you can spend hours writing the, the perfect scenario that will, you know, years worth of plan and then they, they just ignore it and go down a completely different route. 
I mean, I once ran a game where all of my players, there was this big overarching thing with a guy who was trying to like, if anyone's read uh, Mistborn, that Brandon Sanderson, anyway, there's a whole thing with metals and they just wanted to sit in a, a shop and sew clothes. And I was like, <laughs> so you, you have to be quite flexible in terms of, you know, being able to actually get your players to move along the story and not have too many preconceived ideas about where it's going to go necessarily. Character creation. So all your players are going to be creating characters. That's going to be their first impulse into the world. And if your homebrew has particular rules around characters, uh, for instance, that uh, in this society, goblins um, are ubiquitous and they're uh, slaves to everyone um, and they're not inherently evil, then the players need to know that. They need to know what's on the table, what, what, uh, what races they can choose from, any particular law that happens with those players, uh, with those characters. Um, what's the position of magic in the world? Is magic very rare? Is it uh, high magic? Is it um, something that people will be persecuted for? You know, all of those will really inform like the player's choices. Because as soon as they start making these choices, they're shaping where you're going to take the world. Unless you want to give people pre-made characters, then you've got to kind of anticipate and work with them in creating their characters so they fit into the world you're making. That's a very good response to the character creation. Three things I've sat down and considered uh, come down to cause and effect. The things happen in the world make them matter to me. You know, again, just keep accurate notes. The second thing is that I spend a lot of time in on my physical tables, and now I try and still do it digitally, is handouts. Usually my world, I'm leaning heavily into the wording of the question, which was making it feel fully fledged, not actually be fully fledged. So a thing I did for my Eberron campaign a month ago was for every session, the, a random character, I draw the deed and not the random, would walk into a city or a, like a, a random errand paper would fly up to them and like they, they'd pick up a newspaper. Because in Eberron there's like a solid, like a Daily Sun or Daily Herald. <laughs> so handouts really make it feel, feel lived in. A system that's super, super good at this is Call of Cthulhu. It mm -hmm. leans heavily on pickup, and it, it's such a simple thing. Just finding a newspaper clipping immediately makes you like like bleed out. There was a reporter, there's a newspaper, there's a printing press somewhere. All this stuff connected, and holding it in your hand, big thing. The third thing is language and money. Spend time considering language and money in your world. There's a wonderful person uh, person in England that does videos on this. She, Becky Dungeon Girl, she's changed her name now, channel name to a pair of geeks, like pair, like a, a pair, like nom nom pair, because she and her girlfriend moved in together and they're doing this stuff now, it's amazing. Um, she does case study videos, so she just sets out a table with like a town and minis, and she just, she doesn't say a word, a word about why she's doing it, she just jumps into like world building. It's a great way to, to think about it, but she does an entire video on language and money as well. And the reason I say it's important is, we live in a country with 11 national, well, it is 11, right? I always get it wrong, yeah. 11 national languages. If you've got someone on your table that speaks a language the rest of the people don't know, make that language be Elven, make that language be Orc, make, that make it a different language. So that when they actually like speaking that language, that, that leans into it. Fancy grounds and online tools like, like Fancy grounds and Roll20 allow us to do this by obfuscating text. It's a great way of creating a verbal barrier. And that in-game becomes something that players act actively work over. 
ever since I introduced that in my world's players, actively spent time looking to learn languages as a character, and that opens up the entire door. Money is also important, just to mention on that, is that you have to go sit down and determine, at least to some extent, to what, what level money will matter. Mm -hmm. If it matters at all, that means you, that, that just defining how much a piece of bread is worth immediately tells you what the poverty line is. It tells you so much, and then you just lean into what your players assume from that. I agree with all of those. I would just add, and I think Beth hinted at it, is as long as you have some of the, the big things worked out, so like what is magic like? What is religion like? Do you have those in your setting? Also, what genre is it or time period is it? So are there mechanics? Are there steam engines? Are there, is there nothing? Are you post-apocalyptic? As long as you've got those top line things fledged out to a degree, you can just build as you go. So you know they're in town A, the quest is probably going to take them to town B. So you just need to fledge out what's happening in town A, town B, and the surrounds. Because you know when you say to players, you should probably go to town B, they're going to be like, no, I'm going to go to the field. I want to go see what's happening at the seaside. And you're like, guys, why are you like this? And then I would also recommend really looking at building what your villain is planning to do, especially if you're thinking of a wide-ranging campaign, is what is your villain planning to do? Because that affects the world, because every character and villain is a byproduct of the world. So, you know, are they trying to bring back an old god? Then that gives you law for an old god. Are they trying to fight climate change? And those kinds of things. What are the other characters trying to do? Because everyone's a product of the environment. What would you say is the best way to go about from concept and working backwards to homebrew? So like an example, my players are about to meet the quest hinting NPC in the form of a metal singing barbarian. Nice. How would you work backwards from that? So Amishia says, yeah, so basically they've got this idea. They want them to meet a metal singing bar barbarian. How do you work backwards from that? Well, I suppose why is the metal singing bar barbarian? Why are they there? What knowledge do they have? What reasons do they have to interact with the party? Are they trying to get something? What are their motivations? Basically, everyone is the hero of their own story. So even though someone might be a villain of your story, they might, they're the hero of their own. So like mm -hmm. figuring out what's in it for them. You know, people don't just give information for free most of the time, they, you know, like they might be trying to like get some, get them to do, they might have a motivation to ask them to go somewhere and do something for them in exchange for it. I mean, that's the mm. classic trope from every computer game ever, you know, go get my onions from over here and then I'll tell you where this other thing is to go and do this thing. So you, you can use that a lot. It very much depends on, you know, is this going to be a recurring NPC? Are they once off? Do they have more knowledge than they're saying? There's numerous ways, depending on the personalities of the players and the NPCs and the situation. Sorry, that ended up being very generic. No, I think it was it was good because, you know, and that's sometimes the problem with some games and what makes things feel fully fledged is when someone isn't just like, do this for me because I need you to do it so we can move forward in the story. Uh, okay, so a metal singing barbarian. Either he's singing metal or he's made of metal. If he's made of metal, then I would uh, steal things. I would steal uh, effects and stuff from Golem stat block or uh, Warforge stat blocks. 
to figure out like how to put this barbarian mechanically in the game. Then I decide like, oh, do I want rage? Do maybe I don't want like reckless attack? So you can kind of like mix and match some stat blocks things in there to kind of build the barbarian from that side. Maybe you want to steal a couple of like odd stuff, you know, thunder wave for that metal um, effect. Just like hits the guitar and blast of sound. I'm just going at this very from like a mechanical point of view how I would put them together because I think in terms of a law point of view that can also like fit together maybe this is an animated stone barbarian maybe is a, a rock genasi sorry i'm still thinking of the metal when you probably just mean like scream some banshee effects something like that uh, you can steal stat blocks quite easily there's a great tool i use when i want to put together a new stat block it's from tetracube.com dnd stat block uh, generator which basically it'll start you out you can get like any of the monster manual things as a default you can put them up and then you can edit them, mix and match um, effects from oh, uh, different cool. uh, creatures to put together your own um, creature uh, stat block, which is a lot of fun. Um, I spent way too much time homebrewing things uh, using that tool. So that's how I would put together a metal singing barbarian. That also goes back to what we said earlier of how they can affect each other. Because if you're taking some banshee effects, maybe that builds a story for the NPC in lore-wise. So maybe the NPC is giving them this hint because they're actually a banshee and they know they're going to die and it's fulfilling its purpose as a banshee by ensuring their death if they go and hunt rats in a cellar. <laughs> You know, at level one, that is hardcore. We must be careful of explaining away the mystery, you know? Mm. Sometimes there are things that, like, can't be explained in the world. Sometimes there are, like, uh, you know... I I think of, like, some anime series where just suddenly a guy shows up who plays a saxophone that, like, um, you know, whose music notes, like, cuts through the air. And it's never explained why this fits into the kind of neo-techno-Western genre of it but it doesn't matter because like it's it's a it's a interesting and beautiful character so be careful of over explaining things and destroying fun that way these are things you can know just and and i think that sometimes especially people who build these fully fledged worlds with everything written down you can want to share it because i mean you've made something amazing and you can want to tell your players like yes but that npc was actually this is this never let them look behind the screen You might need to work those things out to know for yourself, but sometimes the players don't need to know all the information. And if you want to share, you know, share with people outside your game. The clouds part, and we see a a small island in the middle of the ocean, and there's there's just a bunch of structures, and we see some smoke fires. It zooms in, and we fly past. We see see crowds gathered around what seem to be bastions. The sounds of battle cross over the air, and as you come closer, you see that there is actually a mixture of, of a goblinoid host, all of them with weapons in the air. As you get closer, you see torches everywhere, and everyone's moving moving in unison in a, in a direction. When you get closer, you hear the, the, low, the low drums sounding away, and as we as the, vineyard, the scene sort of opens up and we move through the palisade, we see that the, the goblins and the hobgoblins and the all the and maybe some orcs as well are like forming a bit of a mosh pit in front of the stage where a high elf is uh, is ripping a solo tight headband like maybe a streak of color in the hair and then we uh, we this elaborate scene like we pass through the curtains at the back and at the back 
we see this metal uh, metal character. Maybe he's uh, got like a tag that says in, in badly written uh, uh, written um, maybe dwarf says like uh, roadie, and our party is there to help him with a quest. Mm. My point is that I try. If you're saying he's metal and he's playing a guitar, he's connected to some sort of society that that nurtured that. So. Um, I'd, I'd flesh that out, give the players that scene, and then go from there. I think that's a really great segue to a question here. So what are some of the best ways to develop unique feeling cultures for your world? So now you've just built from the one NPC that is this metal singing barbarian, an entire culture that has bred that, you know, he's probably not the only one who sings that. Is he like the no. chief? Is he the best one? What are the best ways to develop unique cultures in your homebrew? Basically, pulling the thread and making it stranger. That, that's... Uh, add the tomato. Um, add the tomato. Add the tomato. Adding the tomato in is definitely the, the way of adding strange. Um, it's actually quite funny because I think Adriana, who's um, in another panel, uh, she has a whole module series based around where music is the magic. So it's all about like battles of the bands. So it's D&D campaigns based on music. It's like one where music is banned. So, you know, like the teenagers have got like an underground music thing going and they have to like send it secretly. So there's tons of ways that you can basically take a, a trope and engage it into your lore and world and just run with it. Obviously, popular culture is a great way to inspire that, but throwing a twist on it, having, you know, basically orcs battling each other through music rather than through bloodshed. Maybe they were, you know, on the verge of dying out and they were expressing their pain through music. So now they're, you know, doing symbolic battles rather than actual physical battles. So, yeah, there's tons of ways that you can, you know, basically throw that one thing into a whole unique world. Basically continuing to pull the thread. So don't just stop when you're like, okay, they play metal music. Okay, but why? And then why do they do that? And then just keep unraveling the thread until you've got like a multicolored, <laughs> amazing mush. Maybe they wanted to be a classical singer, but they couldn't actually hit the notes. So they ended up going into the rock because, you know, it was what they could do. And they actually really want to be a jazz singer or something. People are hella weird. That's, that's really um, what I can say about like creating culture is uh, look around the, the real world and to draw inspiration from fiction and then magnify it to the nth degree. Uh, there's a great Louis Borges um, story called The Lottery, where uh, it's just a person talking about how the, their culture, everything is determined by lottery and chance. And he's saying, I have been imprisoned for like uh, 10 years because I played by chance. I have been like the prince. I have been, uh, you know, I've been elevated to a god status. I have fallen low. I've done all these things because um, that everything is determined by lottery in that world. That's an example of just like, oh, chance exists, gambling exists. What if everything was determined by that? You know? There was a small town um, somewhere in the uh, Midwest of America where they elected a, a cat as mayor. Steal it, put it in there, you know, just you know, have any kind of like government systems that you can look around that are interesting and take them, put it in the world, uh, dial it up, dial it down, invert it to figure out something interesting and unique to you. Always be respectful of where you're borrowing from. It goes without saying, or should go without saying. 
but yeah, to make it yours, uh, you got to mix things up, mix things mm -hmm. that you wouldn't expect together. To lean into what you said, John, is that last year when I was running, running just a small story that might lean into this, is that I was hosting the D&D, help hosting the D&D at Comic-Con. And when I got some free time in between, there was a small uh, unplug yourself table. It's literally like two seats to play D&D. I told the guy, listen, I DM a lot. I just want to sit down and play for five seconds. And he was super cool about it. And he ran like a, a short scenario for us. And my partner in crime was like a teenager. I think like borderline preteen, like 12 to 13. And if none of you have had the wonderful pleasure of playing with young, with, with, with teenagers, they're so strange in D&D. They turn chaotic everything immediately. So yeah, no, it's uh, people are weird. <laughs> Put a teenage king uh, into your story. Like, there's yes. precedent for that. <laughs> Just imagine your, like, dorky cousin who is, oh, you know... Oh, okay. Yeah. And put him in charge of the world. Um, it's all so, a, such kind of things. Sorry to interrupt. I actually had an no. ongoing laugh with a character being played by a 10-year-old girl, and she was basically our random LARP dice, because, you know, whatever she felt like going, that was what we did. <laughs> Wow. Nice. That's a really good way to do a random in LARPing. That's awesome. Yes. Guy from How to Be a Great Game Master, he actually has a discussion on how to build stories and how to build worlds. And he always says, he uses the phrase, add the banana. And I just thought of that. And he's like, build your story and then throw a surprise in there. So throw, add that tomato, add the banana. Because... That's what makes things rich because people are weird. Absolutely. Truth is stranger than fiction. So to find a like super well-functioning society, unless it's like there's no fighting in Barsing say, is is probably not going to happen. <laughs> so I hope that answers your question. We have another one. This is from Orca S underscore S. Colin mentioned thinking about what your villains are doing to know what to develop. How over the course of a campaign do you keep track of who does what to whom and what the impacts and repercussions are? I think this is also important for players. Wink. It depends. Basically, you'll have, like in a normal campaign, you'll not just generally have one player, or they'll have other people around them. So keeping track of it in terms of goals, really, like what they want to accomplish and what their plan is to get there. For instance, you could have someone who wants to take over the world. How are they do that? What is that influence on the actual players? You know, like, are they going to one town at a time and the players are seeing the effects of that? You know, maybe they can arrive from there. See the, the big villain until, like, midway through or nearer the end. You'll see, like, the minions earlier on. So mm -hmm. I always like thinking about, like, a campaign as a TV show because then you can kind of set your pace and have, like, a big finale and then start, like, a new thread of the storyline. Uh, yeah, so it's basically um, just uh, on the cross. I've got all the, the PCs in the world. Uh, I play um, a West Master style campaign uh, with a lot of people active in the world. And on the left-hand side is like all the, the factions uh, around and a couple of individuals. And just uh, keep kind of track in this uh, form what their positions are. Uh, you know, if they've been noticed, if they are investors, um, you know, respected heroes, liberators, allies, enemies. Uh, yeah, they killed the person's husband. Uh, yeah, so that's bad. Sorry, that, that's all I wanted to, to show. This is how I keep track of um, faction politics uh, in my games, in my world. I've got to be honest, uh, I know one of my players is in the chat. 
guys, I love you, but I do not do that. That's amazing. Um, and my notes, are, <laughs> my notes are like, Nazgul, they killed his wife, and then I'll come back later and then be like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that rings a bell. That did happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems familiar. Uh, if you're going to create uh, your own stuff, you are going to have to keep much more careful notes. You can't go back, obviously, to the original recipe because you mm. changed everything. Yeah, admittedly, I do have a cheat in the fact that I can always just go back and listen to the podcast. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, what did they do? Okay. <laughs> and then I just, I have a, a replay. But, uh, yeah, if I didn't have that, absolutely. Guys, notes, player-wise, GM-wise, they can never be underestimated. And when you're writing it and you're writing, like, goblins, sneaky, be more specific. Because <laughs> two weeks from now, you're going to be like, what? Goblins, sneaky mm. eggs. What does this even mean? That uh, stat block generator that I had the other day, you can also um, save everything you build on there, which is brilliant. So oh, then you've got like that copy pasted over into your, your document and uh, boom, there you've got your recurring monsters. It's worthwhile to also save those things. Even if you built argument sake, a monster, I built for a Christmas themed campaign, a Turducken Hydra keep it i mean does it come back every christmas keep those monsters because you can always reskin them instead of being a blue dragon it's now a red dragon we well, also, also have the person who made the Tudukan dragon make something else because it, it must have been created somehow so maybe that's an overarching villain who actually created the the original thing so they can mm -hmm. find their lair with the pieces of Tudukan. i think we should uh, definitely talk more about reskinning it, it, it's an essential part of like homebrew is uh, taking what exists and just flipping it around. I know Dominic has amazing notes as well. Guys, you're putting me to shame here, hey? I shouldn't have been on this path. You could have just pretended that you had notes. I could have, exactly. but, but everybody, hey guys, everybody knows it's on the internet. Dominic, how do you keep track of these things? I keep track with calendars and Evernote. That's how I keep track of my stuff. <laughs> I'm trying to switch over to Google, to Google Docs, but currently Evernote is just my comfortable way of doing it. The reason being is it falls into that habit of it's, it's on my computer, it's on my cell phone, it's available when I need it. So the moment I need to adjust things, I just quickly type a quick note. The other way I like to keep track of notes is through calendars in-game. Something I started, I, 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 I wish I've, I did earlier, but I, which I started doing last year, was I, I declare which which calendar type, because there's different types you can use, especially for fantasy games, I'm using in my, you know, in the campaign. And then I keep notes on by, by date, but in the world. And it's not something complex. It's just like today they stole the bag of holding. 27th of ever, you know, they went into this X town. And that just allows me to then go back and extrapolate from that what happened. Like Facebook memories. No, actually, <laughs> and this day. exactly like that. Cool. Actually, that's a, that's a clever way of doing it. Create Facebook for your campaign and just like make fake memories. <laughs> fake On this memories. day of the Real year. Real memories, fake world. <laughs> oh, I like that. Then Real you get a notification. It's like a year ago, you burned down an orphan. Do you want to share this? I love that. Real Real memories, fake world. That's awesome. There's um, actually a, um, to, sorry, to, 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 there's, there's two programs. There's a program that's, that people might know that's, um, that's online that, that helps this a lot. Um, I keep forgetting its name. It's, uh, I think, Anvil, Forge and Anvil or something. World like Anvil? But yeah, it's a, there's a website that's built to do this. 
it's basically you set up like a blog for your campaign and mm-hmm. it allows you to create people and tag them in it. Chat says, also check out Legend Keeper. Okay, so we're going to come to an end with the final question of, and well, discussion around reskinning because there's not necessarily, you don't always have to reinvent the wheel. Like we've said this whole time, take a base recipe and judge it. So Beth, reskinning. Turning a trope on its head or a, a character concept, you can do a whole thing with, say you've got a dragon um, that's got a horde and it's got kleptomania. Where does the horde come from? So maybe you've had, like, there's a thief working with them and they, you, you're hunting down the, like, a, the thief who's stolen something from one of the players and maybe it comes back later on. Yeah, there, there's tons of ways that you can basically reskin, like, something that you've had earlier in your campaign that link up and sort of reiterate an idea and connect back to an earlier season. You know, that random anime guy that we were talking about earlier, um, who may be part of a cult and that, that, you know, they're trying to save the world from a deity that's going to turn the whole world into rock music. And they're wanting to um, try and uh, populate the, the multimedia channels with you know, different types of music and there's like basically some particle like stuff that's going to change brainwaves and go with the thread and see where it ends up and it'll take you to somewhere entirely new and random. Usually when I reskin something, it's because I might have envisioned like a, a monster or um, something, but the CR level is, is wrong. Uh, it's totally wrong. And if they actually met a ghost uh, here at level one, they would all, they would probably all die. So it's easier to say like, okay, well, I'm just going to take something that is like a low CR um, and I'm just going to change the description of it. You know, when it comes on the scene, I'm going to say, instead of having the wolves come, I'm going to say the skittering insects um, with, their, with their dripping mandibles uh, snap at the heels of the adventurers. For mechanical purposes, they're exactly the same as wolves. They've got pack tactics, they've got bite. They've got all of those things. Uh, so that like makes it like very useful. You gotta remember that you know whatever you say uh, doesn't. It, they don't have to see what the, what the actual stat block is behind it all. You know, so your description can be anything. That's the simplest way of reskinning something. And usually, I do it to bring down the CR um, of a monster when I want to have a spooky ghost or something like it goes through walls. Just to confirm, uh, CR is challenge rating, so yes. it's how hard the monster should be to face. Um, in case you're not super au fait with D and D. No, absolutely. Exactly like you've said now is is reskinning it narratively or mechanically. Wizards does this all the time. Um, at the end of the Descent into Avernus campaign book, my, not a major No spoilers. spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> There's a, sort of a big bat near the end which you fight that they, they they say, they tell you exactly what it looks like and its reason for being there. And they just, no, just use this, this stat block. But don't call it that. And then you look at the two images they're drawing, and the one is like a massive snake thing, and the other thing is like a massive bug thing. None of it makes sense, but uh, yeah, it's just reskin things. Yeah, reskinning of the walls is good. If anyone's played in my adventure last night, like the midnight one, the sinister secret of salt marsh, in there you encounter like spider swarm, but swarm creatures is like the simplest core rule version of reskinning because swarm mm-hmm. creatures are usually just a set of these things swarm, and they usually have the swarm ability which just means they can enter your space for free and then they just say make it whatever you want a swarm of bats a swarm of ants a swarm mm-hmm. of bugs and uh, the wolf example brilliant example 
no, no worries. Yeah, and I think it's about taking what you need from it, like John mentioned, taking the fact that it can fly through walls and looking at that mechanic. My boyfriend's saying, you can you can hear our little monster trying to get out the room. He's like, I, I need to go, and he's going clawing. But if I open, open the door, like, the corridor is horrendous. For reskinning, I would also mention, like, because it's a homebrew, the sky is the limit. I mean, and my players must just ignore this, but you can reskin items into for want of a better way to say people. So uh, we put a goose into the game because people were just like, there's just this menacing goose in your game. And I was like, okay, there's this menacing goose. But we've now built that, that goose is essentially a bag of holding. So it's a goose, it has bite attack, but it's also a bag of holding. So anything it eats is gonna come up later in the game. And I'm just gonna randomly bring this goose up. And I wrote a note that it ate, ate like a locket. It's going to be like, here's the locket when you put something, when you feed it something else. So it's just going to randomly drop items that it's been eating during the game. So don't, you don't have to hold yourself just to necessarily reskinning monsters. You can reskin items. You can, you can literally take inspiration from anything and use the mechanics you'd like and then just adjust it because there's no need to reinvent the wheel. There could be a picture in it, and maybe something to do with the goose's stomach has, like, uncovered part of something in the stomach. Polishes it and makes it... Yeah. It goes in an uncommon locket and comes out a a rare locket. Well, even like there was something underneath it, it's like the acid has actually, like, eaten away. So there's a picture or, like, a a jewel or something in there that that they couldn't see because it was so, like, covered in something. I like that. Uh, The Sent Into a Venice campaign, there's a magic item you can get early on. That is a sentient item, but I'm not going to dive into that topic. Of no spoilers. Right now, but it's a magical item, and it gives you ability to cast the, the, the fireball and firewall. And then there's one spell. Its third spell is fear, but the player can't cast this. Only the DM can choose when it's cast. So that's a fun way of to like mess with the skin or stuff. So like give items that have some levers and knobs that only you can touch. It's having it appear one way and then having multiple things underneath oh, it that aren't obviously, aren't always obvious. This is a bit of a spoiler for anyone who hasn't played this LARP, but there's a, a character in one of my LARPs that's a nun. And throughout the entire LARP, everyone's like, oh, she's just a nun. She's actually a ninja. <laughs> ninja uh, nun. The ninja movie. Nun. Just to bring up one last point about like homebrews, one of the best reasons, I think, to do it and to do even simple changes is to stop those players who have already read the monster manual. Nothing like throws a spanner in metagaming, like, uh, actually this is a fire troll and fire regenerates it. Because people are like, oh, I know exactly how to deal with an ant keg. Mm. And you're like, guys, it looks like an ant keg. It quacks like an ant keg, but it is not an ant keg. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being here. How can people follow you and support you in the least creepy way possible? On Instagram? It's kind of hard to do laughing stuff when you're not in the same city. Yeah, I'm part of Claws and the adult group called Talon, which we haven't really done very much with. But yeah, Instagram's probably the best way. I am like on all the socials as John Keevy. Twitter, Instagram, uh, my website is also John Keevy. Yeah, you can find me there. My Twitch is also John Keevy, uh, where I do this and all kinds of stuff. The simplest way to just get to me at this point is Discord. Uh, I, uh, this. If you want to go through a website to find me, I'm part of the Fantasy Grounds College. That's fancygroundscollege.net. The 
you can sign up for classes and stuff there. And I, my Discord handle is pixelcorpse. Hashtag nine six five seven. All those lesser prepared people. That's why we named ourselves Dum Dum Die because it's quite easy to remember. You can just find us on all the socials at Dum Dum Die, spelled D U M D U M D I E. Otherwise, we hope you have a most amazing week filled with adventure. <laughs>